Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Hello boys and girls, welcome to episode 2 of uh, Mashala PTI. Pardon these Indians with uh, Aravind Srinivasan and Ravi Krishnan. Hi everyone. Hey Ravi, I, here, here we are, we are. We have made it to episode 2. How about that? I know and in my mind that itself is a great accomplishment as far as we are concerned. <laughs> yes, pat on our back I guess. And uh, welcome from your vacation, how was it? Thank you. It was great. So uh, we had a family vacation uh, to Australia, and which, by the way, also explains the the absolute uh, delay on my part uh, in regards to doing episode number two, for which I apologize both to you and uh, to our listening audience. Oh, no worries. I guess this is that time of the sports calendar where uh, everything is a little slow. So. Yeah, that, that's true. But having said that, and uh, you know, hopefully this acts as a segue to uh, some of the key things that you would like us to talk about today. Uh, what I found surprising was a week away, and I realized that there had been a lot of things that had happened in what is typically a very dull period for sports. Yes, that is true. And uh, like you said, that's a good segue uh, for people who are... Uh, just tuning into episode two, uh, we talked about this a little bit in our first introduction that we are both big, you know, Phoenix sports fans, even though we live in the Bay Area. Yes. And while we were away, there are a couple of uh, kind of sad things that happened to the Phoenix, uh, Arizona sports world, I guess. One was uh, Amari Stoudemire retiring, and the other one was uh, coach Dennis Green passing away. And I was thinking... We should talk about both. Um, first, about you know Denny Green. Uh, I think his last real signature moment was that rant he had with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, against the Bears. The the Bears were who we thought they were. Rant. Yep. Yep. And unfortunately, that kind of uh, wrapped up his career in some way. Uh, whenever people explode like that, it it becomes harder to find another job after that. But I, I overall, I kind of enjoyed his three years in uh, Arizona. Uh, I think he was the coach when they opened the new stadium and they drafted Matt Leinert, and that year didn't go well, and that's when he had that explosion. But overall, I feel like he set the table for some of the better things that came about later. Uh, do you have any fond memories of his tenure with Arizona? Yeah, I absolutely do. And I agree with you that mm. it is kind of sad that his lasting legacy became that one comment. And candidly, I feel the kind of game that was where the Cardinals were up on Monday night football uh, against a much better Bears team by, I think, uh, a 20-point lead yeah. uh, uh, well into the second half or well into the third quarter and then ended up losing. Uh, any sane person would have lost their mind right. uh, and said worse things. So it was just, I mean, I guess it was 
almost tragically funny in the way people took what Denny Green said, but at least it was a genuine it was. Uh, uh, outburst it uh, was. versus any kind of sugarcoating. You know what? There have been many rants, right? The, the playoff rant by uh, Coach Mora and, you know, I'm a man, I'm 40 by that, you know, Oklahoma State uh, yeah. football yeah. coach. I mean, I know you listen to Jim Rome like me. He, he kind of milks these rants for great to great effect over many years i i really like this denny green's rant out of all of them because to me it was really raw you know absolutely even rants come in different forms right some are made up for tv some are made up for effect for their own players and things like that this thing from day one i'm not just saying this because he's deceased now and we have to be nice to him I just thought it was such a raw outpouring of emotion. And to me, that kind of symbolized all that we hear about NFL coaching and how hard it is and how hard these guys work, right? So after spending like 70, 80 hours that entire week, building a game plan, practicing it, believing in it, and actually going there and implementing it to great success for what, two or three quarters? I think they were just dominating. Yeah. And then for it all to go down the drain in a most unexpected fashion, I thought it just came out, you know, in that rant. And I don't think it was made for TV or there was there was not an iota of uh, uh, any kind of acting or anything in that. And I really liked him for it, even though it became a punchline across the country. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Arvind. And here's what I think, and, you know, I might say that uh, we're digging too deep into uh, a few sentences of his press conference, <laughs> but that's what has been my typical issue anytime, uh, you know, media tends to overemphasize a comment made either as an impulse or either, either or as an immediate reaction to a major uh, uh, event. And in our case, we are talking only sports. So... Yeah. a win or a loss. And in my mind, what was refreshing about uh, Green's outburst was it was not insulting to a particular question. Since then, we've had a number of occasions where, uh, you know, whether it is athletes or coaches uh, or officials, uh, they have a very uh, pejorative, very insulting uh, answer to, say, a reporter's question mm-hmm. or they make a sexist or a racist comment. Yeah. And that gets blown up. And in my mind, what Denny Green said had absolutely none of any of that. Right. He basically said that he thought his team sucked uh, in the second half of that game. Mm-hmm. And he frankly felt that the Bears were not good enough to win. Both of which are, number one, they were true for that day. And number two, are things that coaches typically do not say. There is a an unwritten coach speak rule, it seems like, in American sport. I mean, I find it very different in... European sports where it seems like, especially in soccer, coaches mm-hmm. come out and say all kinds of things. But here we seem to almost toe the line of polit- uh, sporting diplomacy to a, to, a, to a, you know, crazy suffocating extent. And I think Denny Green represented everything right. against it or everything exactly to the other end of the spectrum of it. Right. That's a great point, actually. And, and to me, the, the, you know, that I kind of dwell on that incident only because I'm convinced that that's the reason he never got another NFL job. Yeah. Uh, 
you know what was stunning by the way sorry to uh, uh, you no know uh, button but what was stunning to me was after the cardinals fired him mm-hmm. the only other job as a coach that he got was to uh, coach something called the united football league yes. Sac- sacramento, sacramento or, or something right something yeah. red sacramento <laughs> mountain lions or something like that and i said that's that was a shame given something else that i think you and i have spoken about for the last 10 15 years which is that much before uh, the greatest show on turf namely the st louis rams there was this minnesota vikings team yeah uh, with uh, with robert smith and chris carter and a rookie randy moss and uh, dante culper uh, yeah that was one of the best sporting teams uh, you know that i've ever seen play absolutely and i think that was the crowning jewel in his uh, career i think he, i think he came out of the bill walsh coaching tree yes and he had a great run but that team that you uh, described was it was just amazing to watch as well as they had great success and then he kind of his career uh, you know kind of leveled off and uh, went nowhere but i think overall he were he had a decent career which is definitely worth celebrating and for our cardinal fans definitely uh, you know that was the beginning of the turnaround right in some yes. ways and speak and even in regards to the cardinals despite all the losses the one you know there are two things that stood out uh, you know even in an otherwise uh, pretty uh, hoham uh, tenure uh, with denny at the helm and those two things number one was he definitely was a huge improvement over you know wins tobin and dave mcginnis and you know mm-hmm. people like that not purely in terms of wins and losses but just in terms of creating a national presence yeah uh, until denny green arrived the cardinals were seen as a very local very regional team a team that other teams used to circle on their calendar as a w uh, and i think denny lent some national uh, cred uh, to who we were Absolutely. second thing is this also re- uh, kind of uh, what seen in some of the players that he was able to lure like Edger and James when he came to the Cardinals yes i know he didn't do too well after joining but i'm sure all of us were thrilled when he joined the Cardinals and i think one of the main reasons he did join was because Denny was at the helm yes definitely that's a good point because uh, when Edger and came to the desert that was big news uh, yeah. he didn't do well like you said but that was definitely a, a moment to celebrate Anyways, so I guess we will all uh, miss Denny and uh, you know everything he did for both Arizona as well as the NFL uh, community. Um, yep. Now on to the other topic that uh, came out when you were away, I guess, was uh, Amari Stoudemire's retirement. Um, obviously, he was part of that. fun run and gun seven seconds or less uh, suns team and you know who can forget those years right he yep. and nash were just just unstoppable and the thing that really uh, i wanted to hear what you think about it is uh, i was a little bit upset that he supposedly wanted to come back to the suns for the last year yep. and the suns actually did not show any interest Uh, now I think he has signed in, in in some team in China or something like that. Yeah, he's still you know kind of young. He's not the same player he was, but at thirty uh, four, especially given where the Suns are, 
By the way, they have started calling themselves the Rising Suns, which I like it. Uh, they could have, I thought they could have definitely given him a one-year contract. Uh, what was your, your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, then just to address your last, uh, your comment on, uh, you know, the Suns kind of not taking him back, I also wasn't too happy about it. And I've loved everything the Suns have done in the last two months, uh, except for that. And I think the reason, the main mm-hmm. reason for that is, and we brought this up in a different context last week or at our, in our original or in our first podcast around the value of someone like a Tyson Chandler yeah. being that being that glue guy, being that veteran presence. And I think Amari fits the same bill mm-hmm. pretty much, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, exactly like a Chandler would. Plus his leverage, uh, his his goodwill. Uh, that he's accumulated with the Suns, uh, being their poster child, pretty much, other than Nash, yeah. uh, during the first decade of the 2000s. So I think the least the Suns could have done was to basically give him a year uh, and then for him to ride uh, onto the sunset as uh, as a Phoenix Sun. Right. I think because of that, he, I believe he signed a one-day contract with Knicks and he said retired as a, you know, he wanted to retire as a Nick or something like that. Yeah, 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 and so I I agree with you. I think that was uh, that just didn't make logical sense as far as I was concerned. Uh, you know, the Suns uh, did bring back Barbosa. I am not sure what uh, additional value Barbosa brings, relatively speaking, than well, I, an Amari. Well, I think he at least he probably on the court he might be a little bit more uh, productive. Hard to say. Hard to say. Uh, don't you think Barbosa would be a little bit more productive at this stage of his career than given yeah. what he did for the Warriors? No doubt. No doubt about it. It's just that uh, my point in bringing Barbosa up though is that if the Suns had a dictum or a strategy where they didn't want to basically invite uh, uh, the, the Suns version of an AARP convention <laughs> by having all ex-Suns players like you know Dudley and Barbosa were already there back onto their roster, that is okay. But to me, Dudley, I think I think they have a they have a set plan for him. Barbosa, I do agree that in isolation, I think he will add value. But in a in a team which currently, as it sits, is overloaded, uh, you know, uh, with guards. That's a good point. The va- value Barbosa brings, relatively speaking, to the position Amari plays and what he would have done if he had been on the roster. It's not, my point is, it's yeah. not like they're overloaded with talent up front. That's true. That's a good point. They have a lot of guards. So, yeah. uh, I don't know what Burbosa does. Um, you, you know, the other interesting part of this, I, I don't know if this will surprise you, but uh, I was a little bit surprised. They're saying he's not that far from a Hall of Fame induction than some people would think. Mm. That's, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, so I looked at uh, some numbers, and it's actually pretty fascinating. So, you know, that overall he has played 14 years. He's just 34, actually, by the way. He could play another three or four years if he was a normal, you know, if he didn't have all those injuries. But he also came out of high school. I think he went to like four or five high schools anyways. But he has been in the league for 14 years. Uh, but still he's only 34 and his averages are pretty impressive actually he's 18.9 points per game his field goal percentage is 53% for his Mm. career that's pretty impressive that is 
and they're saying that eight year stretch, right? Uh, I think that starts with his second year in Phoenix through the first year at New York. He was, his numbers is just as impressive as any Hall of Fame player, including somebody like Tim Duncan. Very close. And I thought that was fascinating. I never thought of him as, you know, being ready for a Hall of Fame type, uh, you know, uh, retirement. But looks like he has an outside shot. And that, the question is really going to be, they say, whether the longevity was there because somebody like Duncan and Garnett have been around for, what, 20 plus years. He's done after 14, but out of that 14, the eight peak years are just as good as anybody in the Hall of Fame. That's that's a great point, Arvind. And just to play devil's advocate, uh, because again, being being hardcore Suns fans, uh, it would please uh, us more than any probably anyone else to see Amari in the Hall of Fame or at least being in contention for it. But there are a couple of things which stand out uh, not too positively, at least as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. The first one, first one of which is that I agree, and in fact, when you had brought this up prior to the podcast, I was looking at his numbers. Offensively, they are all world, especially during the time frame that you have defined, which is from the 04-05 season with the Suns on to the end of the first season with the Knicks. He yeah. was consistently in the upper 20s, or not upper 20s, but mid-20s, points average, uh, shooting above 50% pretty much in every one of those seasons. Right. So I think scoring-wise, he was right up there with some of the best. I think having said that, he always had this very justified tag of being a very one-dimensional player. Okay. Uh, you know, and I feel there's been more emphasis on, on it. Again, talking strictly Hall of Fame, credential, selection and all of it, it seems like people are paying a lot more attention to defensive progress and rebounding and you know, did he give his all and so on and so forth and a lot of other X factors as they say, uh, than they ever used to. I mean, you know, Rodman is a perfect example. Right. Uh, you know, 15-20 years ago, would we have said Rodman is a candidate for the Hall of Fame? Uh, probably not, but uh, and in that respect, I think Amari does suffer. Yeah, and, that's the second, a... and the second thing is, and this is something which I must admit is not an original thought, it came from one of my colleagues. He was telling me that the easiest route for a superstar who plays any position, but especially a forward position, uh, is either to stick with the same team for a say a 10-year period and do uh, consistently well as a top-tier player, or if he's going to a second team or a third team, mm-hmm. to, to have at least two top-level seasons with the new team. And in Amari's case, I think injury really deprived him in his second season with the Knicks. Right. I think his first season with the Knicks was as good, if not better, than anything he had done with the Suns. But second season, he got injured, played, played less than 50 games, and I think he averaged about 17 points. And I think that's maybe one season where if he had stayed on par with the previous one, I think we would have been talking him as a more certain all right. time candidate. Definitely. And of course, the injuries, right? Injuries completely yeah. took a lot that's true. away from him. But, you know, I, you've, I'm sure you remember this. One of the MVP seasons for Nash, uh, Amari was in the running. In fact, in his mind, he was a MVP candidate and he was kind of, he couldn't openly lobby for it because, you know, it was like him against Nash. But at the same time, he was dropping hints that, you know, the league should be looking at him as a candidate as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, and I that think he was also I, rookie I, of the year, yeah. right? 
I think yeah. he was also the rookie of the year. I think he was drafted with Yao Ming in the same year. And um, definitely the first part of his career was pretty impressive in a lot of ways, which we kind of tend to forget when uh, somebody is injured for five years and they're, you know, we get used to this. We have the recency bias, right? We have this whole notion of the guy coming off the bench and getting dunked on or whatever, whereas he used to be Blake Griffin before Blake Griffin. For the kids out there who have... Uh, we don't know what we are talking about. I think uh, that's one way to put it. He was, in my mind at least, he was Blake Griffin before uh, Blake Griffin. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Arvind. And that's why, in fact, to your earlier uh, you know, point around it being somewhat sad, it was, it has been somewhat sad for the past three seasons where he's been kind of floating between Dallas and New York and Miami playing 15 minutes a game. And that's not the Amari that we remember. Yes. So, final thoughts. Does he make it to the Hall of Fame? What do you think? I, I get the drift. You you don't think he makes it. Yeah, I think he doesn't. I see. I think he doesn't right away, but he might in eight, nine, ten years. That's, well, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. Anyway, but I am hoping you are right. Yeah. Anyway, so... Maybe he's not a first ballot guy. Uh, maybe they put him in later. We'll see. Um, but anyway, thanks, Amari, for all the memories, I guess. Those years were just fun. Absolutely. Now, uh, let's move to something more uh, uh, topical in the sense this is probably going to be what dominates our podcast over the next several months. I wanted to talk about fantasy football. I'm sure we'll delve deeper as, uh, you know, August gets uh, going here. But one thing that really caught my eye, I'm sure you've noticed this too, Ravi, is how much the first round of this year's fantasy draft is just all about the receivers. It's just fascinating. I've never seen uh, such a dominant receiver-centric draft ever. Can you think of uh, anything like this was I'm not even sure if Randy Moss went number one consistently back in. No, his... I, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, this has been stunning and something that again, uh, and given that you and I have played uh, in the same league for the past twenty years, you know this. I've never been a fan of picking wide receivers uh, high, but that has only compounded my sheer frustration when I've seen how things are going this year. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I've never seen anything like this in general. and But this year, it's see, it's gone from where wide receivers had become an afterthought to there being some love to them to now where, <laughs> if I'm not wrong, and correct me if I am, it seems like 10 out of the top 20 uh, picks as projected by both ESPN and CBS Sports are going to be wide receivers. Let's see. I have a I have a mark here in front of me. It's Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins. That is actually four out of four, right? Wow. And then the fifth pick yes. is Gronk, actually. And then you got David Johnson, Gurley. That's two running backs for you. And then again, it's AJ Green, then Adrian Peterson, Des Bryant. So just in the top ten, you are looking at six receivers, one tight end, which was basically another receiver, right? And then three running backs, and I believe Le'Veon Bell would have gone in here if not for his problems, right? So even given that, it's like five out of 
10 as wide receivers and that's unheard of and I think there are a couple of things happening right one is the game itself is becoming pass friendly and obviously the receivers are able to score a lot more than they uh, were able to in the past and of course maybe it's a little bit of a weaker draft as well for running backs this year Uh, there are not too many you know can't miss fantasy prospects I suppose uh, so the, the the combination of the two is just changing the landscape completely. And would you draft? Well, I was going to say I th- I think at this point Antonio Brown is number one. There's just no argument, right? Do you see? That's right. Yeah. In fact, he. I was just going to say that uh, you know in the in the list that you uh, enumerated, in my mind, Antonio Brown and possibly DeAndre Hopkins, in my mind, are the only two sure things. Especially for, for uh, PPR, I guess Antonio yeah. Brown is just you can you cannot not take him at number one. I think. Yes, I couldn't agree. More so what? You. Here's the interesting thing, right? Let's what what would you do at two? Uh, so, even assuming a PPR draft. That so, is what I have been thinking about. Like one to me, Antonio Brown is a given. But if you want to talk about the top five. Two, three, four, and five were a lot less clearer to me, at least. Yeah, I'm with you, Arvind. And if you were to ask me at this point, if I had to, if I had the number two pick right now, I wouldn't take a wide receiver. To me, there are equally viable, especially in a PTR uh, scenario, equally viable and I think safer picks in the form of a Gurley, a David Johnson, even a Freeman uh, from uh, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and as you said earlier, if not for Le'Veon Bell suspension, he would be a shoe-in at number two, despite the fact that uh, his teammate is number one. I so, agree with you. I would take Le'Veon Bell at number two if he was yeah. uh, healthy. But now that he's not there, uh, do you really think that any of the running backs you mentioned are better than o- Odell Beckham or even Julio Jones? Only because, and again, as I said uh, a couple of minutes ago, a lot of this has to do with my own personal bias against wide receivers, which, yeah. by the way, is the result of just a you know just my own ingrained thought that wide receivers to do well are depending on someone else to do well, which happens to be the quarterback. Right. And and Eli Manning throwing to Odell Beckham will never make me feel good consistently <laughs> 16, 16 times a season. And well, Eli will in, throw three interceptions in the first half, and he may pad up Odell's stats in the second half. So true, true. That's what no, people no, are but, expecting. And that's where I guess that explains why Odell is going number two in most drafts. But to me, that's where you know, again, given that I have this completely wild ass good fortune in getting the number two pick, I still pick Adrian Peterson, for example. Then go for a guy like Odell Beckham, who's basically depending on his livelihood on <laughs> someone called Eli Manning. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I beg to differ with you on this. I, I might pick Odell Beckham there. Uh, we could go, you know, deeper into this in one of our shows uh, down yes. the road. But definitely, uh, all of these guys, even the fact that they are looking so attractive, so high in the draft is fascinating to me. I, you know, Julio, people make argument for Julio Jones being number two. And, you know. yeah. and, and, and just one quick thing, Arvind, and to me, 
some of these early wide receiver picks actually draw not much of an argument with uh, you know from me i i can see the julio jones or dell beckham the andre hopkins uh, value where i actually got more flummoxed was when i looked at you know the kind of wide receivers that are going in round 2 like names like allen robinson and yeah. even aj green yeah i think you are right on someone like an eli manning who can just you know chuck three ints in the first half and then throw for 500 yards in the second i don't see uh, uh, what's the redhead's name that throws to aj green i forget his name um, <laughs> andy it's, dalton it's, Yeah, Dalton. I, see, I, I frankly, I'm not a big AJ Green guy. Yeah. Uh, Allen Robinson plays for Jacksonville. Enough said. Uh, they are not second rounders to me. I see. They are always one of those who I feel great in being able to steal or snag in round four, and they end up being wide receivers one and two, one or two on my roster. But I wouldn't pick them as a wide receiver one or two. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Allen Robinson is going higher than like Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, right. because I think they are a breakout season last year both him and uh, what's his name uh, Blake Yeah Bortles. that Allen right Yeah as well as the quarterback like right? the Blake Bortles Yeah yeah uh, that's right So it's going to be interesting I think we all need to get prepared for uh, loading up on these wide receivers um it's exciting times It is it is and unfortunately we may have to be a lot more judicious with uh, running backs and the other thing that comes out of this this whole wide receiver law as i would like to call it is also a little bit of a dip in quarterbacks you know for ages we have had these Peyton Manning Drew Brees Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers just you know sneaking in there in the first round and being a factor right now if you look at it Peyton Manning is retired Brady is suspended for four games Brees is kind of finally slowing down in some people's eyes even though i expect a good season out of him this year So that just leaves Aaron Rodgers, and this quarterback situation is going to be interesting too this year. I, yes, and to me, uh, I, I and I, I agree with you, and I think in that respect, uh, given Brady's situation, to me the only two sure things from a QB perspective seem to be Rodgers and Cam. Uh, Cam, Cam did last year was I frankly had absolutely no inkling for. I mean, in fact, I was. one of your detractors when you picked him up in the league we played together and and obviously you were proved uh, right uh, yes. 10 times out of 10 last year yeah so, so he's a, he's a up there this year along with Aaron Rodgers so yeah. he's the only one who has sneaked up into the elite category but then two or three guys have stepped back so which makes that position a little bit more uh, you know interesting all you know the net net of the, all of this is is just the white receivers being picked left and right in the first uh, uh, round especially uh, and also the second round like you mentioned yeah that's right you know and but going back to something you mentioned earlier which is the need for us to be more judicious this time around when we are picking it also at the same time allows us a certain uh, you know mulligan uh, leeway uh, i like the scenario now where yes wide receivers are going higher and the running backs are not as valued for one reason and one reason alone and that is that there have been times in the last few seasons where you know if you had the first pick and then let's say the 20th or the 24th you're basically uh, you know hoping that you picked up a a super monster star with your first pick otherwise you're going to get some trash with the 20th or the 24th pick now i think 
until a good fourth or fifth round, you still have a chance of snagging some fairly dependable guys. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm glad we're uh, talking fantasy. It's going, and I can't wait to get deeper and get the NFL and fantasy season rolling. It's going to be a fun one. And, uh, well, I, I guess that wraps up the major topics of the week. It's time to do our uh, Pukka 5. Uh, these are basically top 5 items we just like to, uh, you know, top 5 things on our mind, if you will. And let me go first. Uh, Westbrook signing. I think uh, I'm kind of happy about it. I don't know about you, Ravi, but uh, I like the fact a uh, small market team, OKC, is getting to retain the homegrown talent, especially after what happened to Durant. Not that he did anything wrong, but uh, I just like the feel-good nature of uh, Westbrook staying back. And did you hear him uh, reply to a question today with a funny answer? Somebody asked him the fact that Durant went to the Warriors, does that sting more? And then his answer was, sting who? (laughs) (laughs) So... He's an interesting dude. I'm glad he's staying back. Um, The second thing, a couple of baseball things. Uh, The Yankees were sellers of this deadline, and I love that. I'm a a self-proclaimed Yankee hater, and uh, nothing uh, warms my heart like Yankees uh, being in trouble or missing the playoffs. Actually, a couple of years was the best for me when both Yankees, uh, a couple of years back, I think both Yankees and the Red Sox missed the playoffs. So those those are like, you know, those that doesn't happen that often. But Yankees were sellers at this deadline, and um, that always is good news for me. Uh, the other baseball thing that caught my eye was uh, the fall of LCL Puig with the LA Dodgers. I mean, mm. this guy was the toast of the entire league, just like, Yesterday, I think a couple of years back, it feels like yesterday. And now he's like being demoted to the minors and they're talking about, you know, them trying to desperately trying to get rid of him and things like that. It's amazing how life turns. And I believe the talent is still there. It's mostly driven by his uh, extracurriculars, which is is something he needs to fix. Coming back to football, uh, I thought it was really funny that Mark Sanchez is actually going to be a starting quarterback for a Super Bowl <laughs> champion. I, I don't know how Elway got himself into this situation. He should be a really confident, self-assured man at this stage after winning a Super Bowl or two as a player and then one now as a GM or a president or whatever he is. I can't believe he's turning over the reins to Mark Sanchez. Isn't that? That's amazing to me. That is. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's worth crying for. Yeah. And the last point closely related to the, uh, AFC West is I'm also amused, excited, and a little bit um, uh, scared of all the Raiders law I'm hearing lately. Uh, the Raiders have become the new darling of the season, and there's all kinds of projections going on. Mm. Uh, I hope they do well. We live in this area, and I believe you were even a season ticket holder 
for a while, right? Yes, yes, I was. So hopefully they do well, but at the same time, I think they're still young and they need to learn the winning ways. Um, but they're up there in people's expectations already. Uh, let's see how it goes. That's my Pukka 5. What's yours? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I especially love uh, a couple of uh, uh, your your Pukka 5s are when I think Mark Sanchez, uh, oh God help the Broncos. <laughs> and, uh, and actually the Raiders... Uh, uh, topic as well. I hope I hope they end up proving uh, what the early season or preseason mm-hmm. projections are because again they are they've been lame losers for so long. I hope something happens. Yep. Yep. Uh, my Paka five actually I've cheated a little bit here. I think three of my Paka five points all relate to the same topic and that is something that we've already discussed and um, happens to be Amari Stoudemire and. Our love affair with him and with the sons. Uh, I was thinking back on what has been Amari's uh, lasting remembrances as a son, and was trying to put together my my top five moments or my top five uh, remembrances or reminiscences of uh, Amari's time with the sons, and came up with three. Uh, and those three happen to be my first three pucker points. So in no particular order, the first one of which is. When Amari was a rookie, the Suns were horrible. They had Stefan Marbury as their point guard, a guy that I absolutely despised. Um, <laughs> they had a very, what I call, uh, a very mediocre season where I think they ended up winning 25, 30 games or maybe even a few more, but played boring style of basketball, had nothing else to cheer about, except except this one game against the Clippers where against the number one overall pick, Michael Olawa Candy, <laughs> Amari, Amari had this thunderous dunk. Uh, to me, the dunk stood out by itself, but what stood out even more was Marbury's face after the dunk, <laughs> wherein he gave this very uh, pathetic, that's nasty look. Yes, uh, I remember uh, you that. Know, it, it, it was amazing. And basketball, more than any other sport, I think stands on... Uh, posterizing images uh, as much as it does on consistent you know fundamentals and i think that one play defined yes. amari during during at least the first part of his career with the sun yes i still remember that actually that is the pretty much the best moment from his career that i personally remember that's a good one <laughs> The second one was, and I'm forgetting, I honest, uh, which uh, season this was, but this was in the playoffs during one of those uh, uh, fantastic Suns Spurs uh, playoff series runs uh, where uh, the Suns were getting chewed by the Spurs in the paint, both defensively and offensively. And something suddenly happened. The Suns were actually not done, down by too much. I think they're down by seven with a couple of minutes to go. And then there was a series of three consecutive offensive sets, offensive plays, where they basically ran the same pick-and-roll play. And each time, Amari had either a dunk or a layup driven by a, a pick-and-roll, a pass by Nash. And each time, Amari made Tim Duncan look foolish. And that was hard to do. Yeah, I thought that pre-play, whatever it was, 45-second period, uh, you know, last will last a lifetime in my memory of someone who's never seen his team win the ring. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I can hang my hat on at least for that brief moment of less than a minute, the Suns were showing the Spurs how it's done. Yes. 
and uh, the last bit is something more uh, recent it is it is from 2010 when again the suns were the underdogs the lakers were all, were all over them the lakers had a 2-0 lead were looking to close out the suns uh, in phoenix and amari decided to play defense that day also be more uh, active on the boards and ended up with uh, i think 42 points and 11 rebounds the suns won that game ended up losing the series but you know for what it's worth when people think back on okay what were his signature games i think that would rank pretty high so that was that was my third uh, mo- magical moment of amari with the suns and uh, my fourth paka five point happens to again relate to a sport outside of the us so basically it is about cricket Uh, the thing that uh, i have peripherally been thinking about and it's taken more noise in recent times is the whole concept of what test matches are i know for those who are uninitiated to what cricket is there is a form of cricket the most traditional form of cricket which is played over 5 days and candidly in today's uh, fast paced world playing any sport and any game for more than 3 hours makes no sense playing one particular event Uh, over five days is horrendously inhuman. So to me, five day, <laughs> you know, five days of cricket is anywhere ridiculous. But even if it has to, uh, you know, uh, please the purists and people have to play test matches. To me, four day test matches make a lot, lot of sense. So I was just thinking about it at a very uh, observational level, and then looked into the the stats of it, and it turns out that in the last five years. 42% of test matches have ended in 4 days which wow. is a good thing results are happening so there are more wins and losses in test matches there are no draws anymore and i see almost half of them are ending in 4 days so why not have 4 day test matches as so anybody that- tried it that's a good idea but as a, i i'm wondering you know usually australians and south africans are uh, ahead of the curve yeah. in experimenting things and and that's a that's a very good question arvin because to me people are trying a lot more radical things as far as the think tank is concerned things like a pink ball and day night test matches i think those are all great ideas and frankly a lot more radical than converting or reducing a five day test match to a four day test match but i don't know why no one has uh, no one has thought to at least doing a pilot uh, yeah deployment deployment of that so that's something to think about and my last point uh, in my paka five has to do with this uh, idiot Uh, called Skip Bayless, who I absolutely abhor. <laughs> I know he has his fans. I'm not one of them. I've not liked him. Me neither. I haven't liked him either as a scribe in the press or, uh, you know, in his stint with the Sun, uh, with the with ESPN. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, but even during his time with ESPN, the thing that I found him was, you know, again he's brash, he's opinionated, he's biased. None of which uh, bothers me. I think, in fact, that makes for very, you know, entertaining media. but to me a lot of his points have been totally unsubstantiated and have been completely blind to facts uh, and that's what you know whether it is his absolute hatred for lebron yeah. uh, or his absolute dislike for aaron rodgers or his continued uh, worshiping of brett far well past his uh, prime i think none of those things made <laughs> sense that was uh, probably the most stupid even by skid bale standards that him somehow suggesting that brett far is better than aaron rodgers exactly exactly and so what that also did was for me uh, reduced the 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 gravitas of a discussion that involved him uh, he made steven smith look like uh, you know walter cronkite and that that's know, hard to do <laughs> exactly 
so so that you know the, for the fact that he's moved on from ESPN kind of pleased me but then i found out that he's moved on because he signed this potentially astronomical deal with fox sports uh, that's yeah he's making more happen. money than a lot of the athletes he's going to be covering that's ridiculous actually yeah yeah exactly so that guy being sought after is my final pakka five <laughs> point uh, and, and i know that i'm not ending on a very positive note <laughs> at to bring that in true on that note we have to uh, you know wrap this one up um that was a good show ravi and i hope we could do this thing again soon with a little bit more fantasy matters uh, in the mix absolutely we will ha- we will have our uh, twitter handle pretty soon we will seek uh opinions thoughts questions uh, from you folks uh, uh, to be able to answer or at least provide our thoughts on some of your uh, you know key questions over the next few weeks we also hope to do this a lot more often hopefully at least once a week and get more fantasy heavy as we move forward definitely um thanks for joining this time and hope uh, you guys join us again the next time thanks guys and thanks again arvin bye for now bye